Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you for joining me this weekend. Today we are in our ongoing sermon series on the book of Esther, and the overarching theme for that is the silence that shouts, which I think needs a little bit of explanation as we go through. I think Esther, unlike any other book within the pages of Scripture, is a book that shows us how difficult it is to live in a secular society and at times when we don't think that God is active within that world. Uh, And so the book of Esther really gives us a case study of Esther and Mordecai, two believers living and existing in the country of Persia under King Xerxes uh, and the protagonist of our story today, Haman, um, but really shows them doing the best they can in a morally ambiguous society uh, called Persia. And so that's what we're looking at today. We're going to see that God, um, even when it seems as though he's silent, God is still in control and is working all things for the good of his gospel, of his people, and for you and I. And we're going to see that especially today. The sin of pride is one that is pretty hard to nail down, but it's also pretty universal. Uh, I think within Christianity, we we oftentimes will talk about that sin of pride and the importance of it. But I'd say that even within secular society, pride can be an issue. Um, But it's amazing how easy we can pick out pride in others and yet never see it in ourselves. Well, that's been true throughout the centuries and throughout the history of our world, that 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 issue of that sin of pride or or that vice of pride, as maybe some would call it, uh, is really kind of an underlying sin that causes multiple different issues, that kind of seeps out in different ways and may look different on the surface and yet underneath It's that sin of pride that is motivating it. One of the most vivid places that I've heard, uh, at least this illustrated or this seen, was in ancient Rome. Uh, As you know, ancient Rome uh, um, was the superpower and prided themselves on a standing army, prided themselves on conquering other nations, bringing law and order to places that they would they would deem as unruly and and unfit to be ruled. And so um, that was was Rome's thing. That's what they did. And so within Roman society, some of the biggest celebrities, some of those with the most power and the most um, honor within Roman society oftentimes were their successful generals. So if you were a general and you were able to conquer distant lands and you were able to, to, um, at least in their mind, um, bring under the Roman umbrella barbarians, right? You would come home after a victory and you would just be heaped with praise. Uh, In fact, within Rome, if a general was victorious, they'd come back and in general, some of those parades would last upwards of two to three days, simply praising the general for all that he had done. And, And most of them would take kind of a similar pattern. 
the general would come back uh, and they would have a parade down Main Street. And the first thing that would go would be all of the slaves and the conquered people uh, that that general had ruled over. Uh, sometimes they would have items from that far distant country, exotic fruits and plants and, and um, jewels and gold and silver. And so basically all of the plunder, both material and people-wise, would be the first thing that was in that parade. Then the general would come. And he generally was on a chariot with four horses. And so the entire focus of this parade, this victory parade, was this general. Behind him oftentimes were his soldiers and his men who had helped him with that victory. But it's a really interesting scene. And you may actually see a picture of it on your screen. Uh, this is a, a ancient bas relief uh, or art that kind of pictures this seemingly small, insignificant thing that the Romans instituted in the midst of that victory parade. It was all pomp and circumstance. That's what it was, right? It was all praise and glory for this general. In fact, uh, these generals at times were, were given honor that was, was set aside even for the divine. So people would, would almost honor these generals as if they were bowing down to a god after their victory. But the really fascinating thing in the midst of that parade was that these generals would have a singular slave that would sit behind them on that chariot. And that slave's job was to sometimes hold that crown or that laurel leaf uh, crown above their head. And the, the slave's job was to simply whisper something in the ear of the general over and over and over again as he was paraded and, and um, heaped with praise and adoration. The slave was to whisper this in the, in the general's ear. Look behind. Remember you are mortal. Remember you must die. Some call that a memento mori. Uh, remember you must die. So imagine having that job as a slave. I'm not sure uh, that it was a much of a willing thing, but that was his job was to sit behind the general and to simply whisper death in the ear of the general over and over and over again. Now it's odd in the context of what was happening there, right? They're lifting this guy up. I mean, they're pumping up his ego, and there's this one moment in there. Why did they do that? Well, because even the Romans understood how destructive and deceptive the vice of pride could be. Now, they weren't Christians, they weren't believers, but even they understood how destructive pride could be in your relationships and in your interaction with other people. And so they, they made this a, a permanent part of those victory parades, uh, a slave that would just continually remind the general of the frailty of life and that death could come around any corner. Did it work? I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to say, especially uh, if you're having a two-day parade of victory that's solely focused on you. I'm not sure that a single slave behind you whispering death is near uh, is going to do it. But the Romans at least understood the concept and the danger that pride could bring to a, a conquering general. Well, today, that's exactly what we're going to look at. And I think as Christians, as believers, um, that sin of pride on the pages of Scripture is even a bigger problem maybe than we know, especially more than we than second society knows. And our text here today, that's specifically what we're going to look at. We are introduced to the protagonist of the entire book of Esther. His name is Haman. Uh, he is described as the enemy of the Jews. So this is, this is a, a man that, that had utter, utmost contempt and anger 
for the Jews. We are introduced to him today and we kind of see the genesis, the beginning of how he was going to put in action his anger and his hatred against those Jews. But underlying it all was pride. Pride came seeping out of Haman and caused all kinds of issues. We're going to look at Haman and those aspects of pride. But most importantly, we're going to take away those aspects and say, uh, in what areas have I also fallen into those same traps? In what areas in my life am I in danger of letting pride come seeping out into my relationships, my loved ones, my community, and my family? And so that's what we're going to look at today. Um, Our theme is the silence that shouts, and we're going to look specifically the silence that shouts against pride and for humility. And so we'll look at uh, those kind of two two, um, aspects of that. We'll look at what pride is, all the, all the ins and outs of how it can come out in our life, but then we all ultimately look at the cure for pride, which is humility. And so those are the two things that we're going to look at here today. Now, uh, before we get started, we want to just talk maybe a little bit about that concept of pride, that sin of pride, and how the Bible describes it. And we want to talk a little bit about what it is, but also about what it isn't. So maybe right off the bat, when we talk about pride, um, we aren't talking about um, being proud of, of, let's say, our children, or being proud of our nation, or being proud of successes that that God has given us in our lives. There is a non-sinful pride uh, that does not look inwardly at ourselves, but rather thanks God for the gifts that he has given us. And so today, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about um, simply being, being proud of the things and the blessings that God ultimately has given us. Today, we're going to be talking about sinful pride, uh, which takes on a whole different direction and a whole different attitude. And that sin of pride is a huge thing, especially within the pages of Christianity, and I would argue um, within our lives as well. And I think it's probably also a a sin that maybe we give short shrift to, that we don't don't maybe talk about enough, because I think what pride does is it it fragments, it fractures how it shows itself in our lives. And we're going to see that in just a little bit, but um, pride can come out and cause anger and and racism and all these different things. And so it, it, it almost is like coming into a diamond and then it fractures out from there and we start looking at all the fractures rather than the source of what is causing those rifts, more often than not, it's pride. In fact, if you know a Christian theologian or a a Christian apologist, C.S. Lewis, um, he wrote an entire chapter in his famous book, Mere Christianity, just on the topic of pride because he recognized, biblically speaking, um, it it was just such a big deal. In fact, he makes the argument that, that pride is the underlying sin that fragments and creates all kinds of other sins. And it's the sin uh, that actually led Satan to rebel against God. And so uh, C.S. Lewis, and I think rightfully so, would say pride is such a huge thing that we as Christians have to have respect for it and and be willing to confront it in our lives. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this about pride, and I think it's a really great description uh, of what pride is in our lives, um, um, sinful pride rather in our lives. C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having it more, having it more of than the next man. We say people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. And you get a real sense of what pride does, doesn't it? See, pride 
isn't just being thankful for the gifts we have. Pride always stacks up what we have against what we don't have or against what other people have. And that's really how the Bible describes pride as well. Pride is continually described as an inward looking and inward thinking. And so uh, the more pride we have, the more we think only of ourselves and ourselves in relation to what we don't have or what other people have or how other people perceive us. And so you can um, talk about pride, the sin of pride as a, as a vision limiting sin, right? And our vision gets more and more focused and inward focused on ourselves to the exclusion of family and friends and the people around us and communities and people that may look different than us. And ultimately, when we let it go long enough, it is entirely to the exclusion of God above. So that's what pride does to us. It, it gives us tunnel vision focused only on ourselves to the exclusion of others. And when it does that, it's amazing how it comes out in strange different ways and different sins in our relationships with other people. And so when C.S. Lewis says pride is the underlying sin that, that fuels lots of other sins, I think he's dead on. And when we talk about selfishness, I think the Bible exactly uh, describes pride as that. It's inward looking rather than upward looking and outward looking. And so that's what we want to look at here today, especially in a man named Haman. Now, to get you up to speed just a little bit, because we are in our third sermon on this series in Esther, a few things have happened here. It's the story of, of Mordecai and his adopted daughter, Esther, trying to live as believers in a completely secular society in Persia. Chapter 1 gave us uh, the picture of Xerxes, who was um, the ruler of the only superpower in the world, and the endless party that he had and the poor choices that he made, eventually to divorce and send his wife Vashti away to hold a beauty pageant for a new queen. That new queen was picked, and her name was Esther. And so leading up to our text here today, that's what's happened. So God has been um, silently shouting from the, the sidelines. He has been setting up this secular society and Xerxes as the king of that society to the point where Esther is now queen of all of Persia. And so from our text last week to this week, about five years has, has transpired. And so Esther and Mordecai have continued working within the government of Persia. Esther as the queen and Mordecai, Mordecai by all accounts, uh, most theologians will say that he was kind of a mid-level, maybe even an accountant in the government of Persia. Persia. And so that's where we pick it up today, but that's also where we run into our protagonist of the book of Esther, a man named Haman. Haman has been elevated to a seat that is the highest that you can have in the Persian Empire. Uh, his position would have been equivalent to a prime minister um, or secretary of state. And so there was no one that was higher than him other than Xerxes. And so Haman should have wanted nothing. Uh, he, had, he had wealth, he had honor, he had power, he had position. position. There was nothing that else that Haman could have wanted, but that's the insidious thing about pride. When you have pride or when you're prideful like Haman, you only compare what you don't have. You only compare what you want versus somebody else. And so in our text, we see pride come out and seep out in all kinds of different ways in this man named Haman. And I want to look at six different ways that pride comes seeping out. And I believe pride is the underlying issue 
for all six of these, but we can find them in our text. So you're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. Um, you can follow along either on your screen or in your service folder as we go through these things. But six different ways that pride fragments and comes seeping out in Haman's life and in detriment to the people around him. Begin with verse 2. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. So the first thing pride is, is it's competitive. Everyone bowed down to Haman. Everyone in the kingdom bowed down to him. But pride isn't content to have everyone or almost everyone. Pride wants every last one. And so he focuses in on a man named Mordecai, who by this point had revealed that he was a Jew. And so um, pride isn't content to just have some. It wants all and it demands all. And so the first thing that pride is, is it's incredibly competitive. And so Haman focuses his, his pride and his attention on Mordecai, a single Jew that would not bow down to him. Now, we ask ourselves maybe a little bit of why wouldn't Mordecai bow down to Haman? And, uh, and, and we don't know the answer to that, but it must have been that Haman uh, did not believe that, that it was giving God honor and glory. And what's kind of interesting is if you look on the pages of Scripture, we have other accounts of believers bowing down. In fact, in the Middle East, um, bowing was almost like saying hello or shaking hands or giving a fist bump. Um, this was a, a kind of a common courtesy. And yet there are times when bowing goes from a common courtesy and goes to something that is honored or demanded. And that's oftentimes when we see God's people not bowing, but rather standing up to that. Mordecai took this opportunity to do that. And he said, I'm simply not going to bow down to you, Haman. Um, pride is competitive, though. And Haman zeroed in on Mordecai. That was verse 2. Jump to verse 5. It says, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. And so the second thing that pride is, is it is angry. It is enraged. That is how pride comes out. If you feel as though your pride has been attacked or, or, or dissed, right? Pride comes out in pure, unadulterated anger. And so he was absolutely enraged that Mordecai would dare not bow down to him. And it's, it's interesting because now his rage is focused on a singular person. And we probably get a little bit of insight into how fragile and how prideful an ego Haman had because you notice that bowing down within Middle Eastern society is almost an automatic thing, but it says that, that the king actually had to command people to bow down to Haman. So maybe Haman had, maybe this was a known issue. Mordecai stands up to him and pride reacts with anger, fierce, hot, burning anger. So number one, pride is competitive. Number two, pride is angry. Brings us to number three. Look at verse six. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. And so the third thing that pride often is, is it's racist and it's bigoted, right? Um, it wasn't sufficient just for Mordecai to kill, or for Haman rather, to kill Mordecai. He says, no, Mordecai is a Jew, and so now I am going to turn my anger on all the Jews. I will look down at this ethnic group, and, and we even get a little bit of sense of just how angry he is when he goes to the king, and he says, they, they, they keep themselves separate. 
they hide themselves away. Um, and, and you can hear just the, the, the anger and fury and, and we call bigoted and racism against the Jews. You can hear it come seeping out of Haman. The source of it, once again, this was pride speaking. So pride is competitive, right? Pride is angry, but pride oftentimes is also racist or bigoted. We get to our next. Read verse 8. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's law. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. The fourth thing that pride is, pride is hidden. You notice how kind of subtle and sneaky Haman is as he goes to King Xerxes? He says, a certain people. And it's in your best interest, king. And he lets these, these unsaid things kind of swirl. That if you allow this certain people to do these certain things, then, then it's going to harm you. And that's what pride also does. It's hidden. It's sneaky. It works beneath the surface, always for the good of the person themselves and never for the good of the people around them. So pride is hidden, which is sometimes why it's so hard to pick out um, in ourselves, because it likes to stay hidden. Haman did that very thing. He manipulated the situation, um, sins by of omission, left out certain details in order to be able to get the end result that he wanted. Okay? Uh, so pride is competitive, it's angry, it's racist, it's hidden. And we get to our fifth one, verse 13. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. The fifth thing that pride is, pride is death. It really is. In this case, it was going to be the physical death and genocide of the Jews within the kingdom of Persia. That included all the remnant who had also gone back to Jerusalem. And so pride, ultimately, when it is pushed far enough, it leads to nothing but death. And that's what it happens out there. And unfortunately, in our story today, this was going to lead to the death of Jews throughout the kingdom of Persia. But what's even more insidious is, and here's the truth, Pride ultimately leads to our own death, our death inside. When all we can do is think about ourselves, we will never have enough. We will never be enough. We will never feel as though we have enough. Pride ultimately slowly kills us on the inside out. And so the fifth thing is that pride equals death. One last one, the sixth thing, verse 15 the couriers went out spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. So the sixth thing that pride is, pride is irrational. Did you notice that at the end of that verse, the city of Susa was bewildered. You ought to know why they were bewildered? Because it made no sense. Why are you killing off this certain group of people? But that's what pride is. It's an irrational response. If you've ever had somebody that reacted in a way that seemed to be 10 or 20 times the level of emotion that, that it should have warranted, then maybe what's fueling that is pride. See, pride at times causes us to act irrationally. 
pride at times is incredibly irrational. Even at times, pride will cause us to do things that are harmful to ourselves. And so the whole city of Susa looks at what Haman's doing and the king that ordered it and are literally bewildered. Why are they killing off an entire group of people? Some of them are high up uh, people within your own government, including Mordecai. And so the sixth thing is that pride oftentimes looks incredibly irrational. And so pride comes seeping out of Haman in those six different ways. Pride is competitive, it's angry, it's racist, it's hidden, it is, leads to death, and ultimately it is irrational. Right? That's how pride comes out in Haman, but also in other people. Now, be honest with me. As we're going through this, and as we're listening to this sermon, were you thinking about the ways that pride comes out in yourself or primarily where you have seen pride come out in other people? It's a tough question, right? If you listen to this sermon and the thing that you were thinking about was, yeah, I can't believe so-and-so, they should really be listening to this sermon. If you were listening to this and you thought, boy, I should really forward this one on to that person over there because they really have a pride issue, well, then maybe we need to look back at ourselves because that's just how insidious pride is. We can always seemingly find it in other people. But when we look at it in ourselves, boy, it's so hard to see. But that's probably one of the most difficult things for us as believers and why pride is so insidious for us as believers. Because pride can also come out and look incredibly religious. Jesus addressed that in our gospel text today. He takes two people, a Pharisee and a tax collector, one that had incredible amounts of pride in who he was and what he thought he was doing for God, the other who in humility came before God and said, Lord, have mercy. And so pride, the most insidious part of it is that in the life of a believer, it can make us look incredibly religious and yet our hearts are not focused on Jesus and what he's done for us. Right? Uh, C.S. Lewis once said, it's like throwing, throwing God a penny and then demanding uh, hundreds and hundreds of dollars in return, right? We give the lip service, but pride really is focused on ourselves. We talk the right talk, and yet underlying, we are not looking to God and Christ and what he has done for us, but we're looking squarely at ourselves. And so pride can come out of us in lots of different ways. And so what is the solution? Well, actually, that's both easy and hard. The solution is humility. Solution is humility. That is what combats cry, pride in the hearts of us as believers. But that's also why pride works so hard on diluting that. Why at every turn pride works on, on holding on to and looking at ourselves rather than the people around us. And so what's the ultimate solution? It's Christ. Christ and his humility, Christ and his life that he lived on our behalf, Christ and how he sacrificially laid down his life on the cross for you and I. The antidote to pride for us as believers is Christ, his death, his resurrection, the death of our pride. It's confessing and laying at the foot of the cross the mistakes we've made, our own prideful choices, the sins that have come seeping out of us, simply laying ourselves and submitting to our God above and knowing that we are loved, that we are forgiven, 
and that we are enough. And so we go through all of this, and I think it's easy for us to pick out that pride, or hopefully it is, within ourselves. But the antidote always has been and always will be Jesus, his sacrifice on our behalf. Unlike the Romans, who uh, instituted a position, a slave who was supposed to whisper death in the ear of the general to keep him from being prideful, unlike those Romans who thought the whisper of death would stave off pride, we as, as believers have something far greater. It's not the whisper of death, but it's the whisper of life. Life in Christ, knowing that you are forgiven, knowing that you are loved, knowing that you are valued, knowing that no matter what someone thinks about you or the things you have or you don't have this side of heaven, that you have eternal um, salvation locked up for you in heaven because of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so as believers, we are able to approach this pride thing, not with with self-confidence that is too large and but also not with with a lack of self-confidence where we don't think anything of ourselves but somewhere right in the middle where our value and our purpose and our life is built up and is supported because of Jesus because of his humility his selflessness and his sacrifice it allows us as believers to be secure in ourselves and in who our God is for us and that in turn allows us to be selfless And so just as pride seems to seep out in all kinds of sinful ways, humility found in Christ also begins to seep out in all kinds of selfless ways, in how we treat people in our lives, in how we love the people that God has put into our world, in our empathy and our compassion for the secular society in which we live, and in our our, um, never-ending pursuit to share Christ and his humility and his selflessness with our world and with our friends. And so this week, focus on that antidote to pride, the humility of Christ, his sacrifice on the cross and for us. And may the Lord bless your work and your life and your living in Christ, in humility, in the coming week. Amen.